Good morning, everyone. Psalm 37. So pay attention to, as I read this, the contrast of the characters of these two groups of people. Of David, do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious towards doers of unrighteousness, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in Yahweh and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in Yahweh, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to Yahweh. Trust in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as the noonday. Be still in Yahweh, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who carries out schemes of wickedness. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing, for evildoers will be cut off, but those who hope for Yahweh, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. You will look carefully at his place, and he will not be there. But the lowly will inherit the land, and, he, and will delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked schemes against the righteous, and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him. For he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart and their bows will be broken. Better is, a, better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but Yahweh sustains the righteous. Yahweh knows the days of the blameless and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil, and in the days of famine they will be satisfied. But the wicked will perish, and the enemies of Yahweh will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish in smoke, they vanish away. The wicked <clears throat> borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. The footsteps of a man are established by Yahweh, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because Yahweh is the one who sustains his hand. I was young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his seed begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends, and his seed is a blessing. Depart from evil and do good, so you will dwell forever. For Yahweh loves justice, and he will not forsake his holy ones. They are kept forever, but the seed of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to put him to death. Yahweh will not forsake him in his hand. He will not condemn him when he is judged. Hope for Yahweh and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Then he passed away, and behold, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Observe the blameless man and behold the upright, for the man of peace will have a posterity, but transgressors 
will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from Yahweh. He is their strength in time of distress. Yahweh helps them and protects them. He protects them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Well, this uh, morning, we'll be looking at Psalm 37. And as Brandon just read for us, there's 40 verses. We won't be going expositionally through that this morning. Uh, be hitting some of the major themes and high points of the psalm. And I've entitled it, Trust in the Lord and Do Good. So my question to begin this morning is, how do you respond when the wicked appear to be winning? And when evil people prosper, while the righteous are suffering, you can be tempted to become sinfully angry, and you can begin to doubt and question God's providence in the outworking of his eternal plan. And Psalm 37 is a remarkable psalm. The psalm comes from the experiences of King David's life. And the psalm recognizes the intense ongoing conflict and spiritual warfare that we are engaged in that exists between the wicked and the righteous or between good and evil. And although, recalling the biography of David, he was anointed Israel's king, as you remember, in 1 Samuel, as a teenager. But he spent the better part of his 20s running from the ungodly and wicked King Saul. And on several occasions, David actually spared King Saul's life, only to watch Saul return to the comfortable palace while David went back to hiding out in the cave. And during this time in David's life, David and his men did good by a man by the name of Nabal. Again, in 1 Samuel, remember there the account where he protected his shepherds and flocks from bandits. And then when David asked a favor in return, Nabal declined to offer any help or assistance. You know, David had many occasions to reflect on the problems of both public and personal injustices. And even the world recognizes injustices today. We've been experiencing that since the fall of man. The only problem is the world misunderstands the root cause of that and then the solutions for that. David wrote Psalm 37 when he was an old man in order to share his insights and the wisdom that he had gained on this particular problem. You know, David says in verse 25, he said, I have been young, but now I'm old. And the psalm reflects the insight and the wisdom that he had gained from years of knowing and walking with the Lord. And the state of the world at that time perplexed David. And it still perplexes the Lord's people today. As Solomon wrote, there's nothing new under the sun. And again, this has been going on since the fall. But to address these perplexities, the confusion, and to encourage us, this psalm was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
And it is the purpose that forms the background of thought throughout the entire psalm. And, and let me give that to you, if you will, in a, in, a, in a nutshell, what I'm trying to convey this morning. And that is, when the wicked appear to win, trust God, be content in Him, and do good, knowing the Lord will judge righteously. Again, when the wicked appear to win, trust God, be content in Him, and do good, knowing the Lord will judge righteously. Think of the words of Solomon again, David's son, in Ecclesiastes. And again, he, he, he wraps up, and again, the wisest man. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is, is to fear or trust God, if you will, and keep His commandments. That is, do good, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And also, you can recall in in Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, God has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Learn never to be surprised by two things concerning the wicked or the evil of this world. Is is one, some of the the most wicked and evil people shall prosper in this life, according to verse 7. And in their prosperity and in their great wealth that they amass, they shall exert at times great power and control over others. We can see that lived out in our current time. And again, the application and relevancy of the Scripture is when David wrote this is just applicable to us today to give us hope and encouragement. Well, number two, never be surprised that many of the wicked shall attack God's people with evil actions. Jesus said, you know, they hated me, they're going to hate you, expect to be persecuted. So this should not catch us by surprise. And it's very easy for God's people to lose sight, as I said before, of God's purpose in our lives when we see the wicked prospering as we suffer under their prosecution. And David warns us in this psalm, don't let that happen. Well, just a general outline of where we're going to be going this morning. In verses 1 through 11, we'll deal with trusting God. Verses 12 through 26 speaks of contentment in God. And verses 27 through 40, the end of the psalm, expands on doing good and trusting the Lord to judge righteously. In verses 1 through 11, in a sense, this trusting God means putting off, putting off sinful anger and envy. And this is part of what we've learned even in the book of Ephesians that We're to put off these specific sins and to put on righteous behavior. Again, we have the new man, the new heart given through the new covenant promises. But yet, the Christian life and the sanctification process is one of putting on and putting off. Well, David writes here with some negatives, if you will, of putting off sinful anger and envy. And David tells us to not fret because of evildoers. (laughs) Three times we're commanded and warned not to fret, verses 1, verses 7, and verses 8. And the Hebrew word there 
To fret means literally, it means to get heated, to burn with vexation, to be to be enraged. In the the verb in Hebrew, you know, it could be translated, you know, don't work yourself up into a slow burn <laughs> when you see evil people prospering. You know, in other words, don't let it get under your skin. You know, when you see this on the news or read it in the paper or whatever source you get your news from. Don't let it get under your skin. Don't become simply angry because the warning there in verse 8 is it could lead you into doing wrong instead of doing good. Sinful anger against evil work or workers can cause God's people to do evil. And we're warned not to do that. You know, we're commanded not to anger. It says there in verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. And that first word, anger, comes from the Hebrew word meaning nostrils. And when someone gets mad, what happens usually with their nostrils? They tend to flare out. And that second word, wrath, comes from another Hebrew word meaning hot. And it points to, to rage. And the Bible teaches that anger can be sinful. But not all anger is sinful, and John's going to expand on this uh, in the upcoming messages out of Hebrews. But anger can be sinful, but we, we can control it through the fruit of the Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit that is the new hearts, the new man, the new creation in Christ. We can control it, and by God's grace and the power of His Spirit, we can put it off. Otherwise, it wouldn't be commanded to stop doing it. <laughs> You know, a general guideline for discerning righteous anger from sinful anger, again, a general guideline is this. If I become angry about an injustice uh, done towards others, you know, it it may be a righteous anger. (laughs) And, And this anger should motivate me to take appropriate action on behalf of the victim, uh, the person being Victimized, the person being hurt, the person being defrauded, the person that, uh, you know, being harmed in some way. But on the other hand, if, if I'm angry about injustice uh, done toward me, it, it could be sinful anger. Again, it could be because most of our sinful anger is really self-centered and self-focused. <laughs> so one aspect of trusting God is to put off sinful anger, giving God his sovereign right to deal with evildoers in his time and his way, which is difficult for me. (laughs) I want it done my way right now instead of trusting and relying on God. And the scripture is instructing us, and David's saying, do not worry or perplex yourself about these mysteries of God's providence that he hasn't chosen to reveal to us at this time. It's part of learning to live by faith, part of learning to trust God for the outcome in these situations. You know, we're also commanded not to envy wrongdoers. It says that in verse 1 of our psalm. Be not envious of the workers of iniquity. You know, God's people can look at the possessions of the evil and come to desire what they have and covet that. You think of... Asaph in Psalm 73. He looks around and they're all fat and happy. (laughs) 
I'm trying to do the right thing and follow you, Lord, and all I've got is trouble and grief and affliction. Is it worth following you? And basically, you remember that. He turned around when he went into the house of the Lord, and he, he got his eyes and beheld God. And he stopped focusing on himself and the things of this world. So trusting God, one aspect of it, you know, put off the wrath, put off the sinful anger. But the positive aspect is trusting God means putting on, putting on trust, if you will, obedience, patience, and humility as we delight ourselves in the Lord. And when evil appears, and again, I keep stressing that, they appear to be winning at times. We need to shift our focus from the evildoers to the Lord. And again, one of the basic things, if you've lost joy and you've lost hope in your life and you're struggling and you're dealing with discouragement and depression, usually the remedy for that is get your eyes off your circumstances and get your eyes back on the Lord, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, five times in Psalm 37, verses 3 through 9, David mentions the Lord by name. And five more times he uses the third person pronoun to refer to the Lord. You know, David is telling us rather than getting frustrated and getting angry and being full of wrath and possibly doing evil about the prosperity and no accountability of the wicked, discipline yourself to be Christ-focused during those times. And part of that's putting on trust. You know, verses 3 and 5, trust in the Lord is just not some hollow slogan. It's a course of action. It's not passive. Trust in the Lord. Know that God is good. Know that He loves His people and He's loved them eternally. Know that He is in control and that He cares for His people. He will provide. He will never leave or forsake His people. Christ died for the church. Know that God will bring His people through to final victory. Trust Him to do that. In this restful trusting, if you will, to put it in contrast from fretting. Don't fret, but trust. Our, our work and our calling is not to worry, but to trust God in all things. Worry and anxiety oftentimes is sinful. It's a lack of trust. It's a lack of faith. A lack of believing God and His Word and His promises that He's given to His people. And you hear that. Does, does trusting the Lord mean to not take any action ever? Just to sit back and trust God? Certainly not. You can trust the Lord and confront an evildoer. You can call them to repentance. Every man is commanded to repent. You can point out their evil, wicked ways. You can be salt and light. You can stand firm in the faith and preach the truth and teach the truth. So trusting the Lord ultimately is just not being complacent and passive. It is being active. And you put on obedience. In verse 3, do good or, or, or do right. That's part of trusting the Lord. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness, David writes. You know, leave things in God's hand. That is, trust God and carry out your duties obediently before the Lord. You know, do what God has given you to do in obedience to Him. 
fulfilling His commands, fulfilling the law of Christ, loving one another. You know the old proverb, Middle Eastern proverb, trust the Lord but tie up the camel. (laughs) You know, trust the Lord but lock your doors. (laughs) So again, it's just not a, a passivity. It is taking action. It is acting wisely, but ultimately it's trusting the Lord for the outcome. You know, in verse 34, the same duty is expressed in another phrase. It says there, wait on the Lord and keep His way. Trusting and trying, resting and working, they go together in the Christian life. We are to understand what God would have us to do in whatever sphere of influence that He's placed us. You know, Trust the Lord. Be strong. Stand firm. Be courageous. <laughs> and do what the Lord's called you to do. That's part of what we found out being a, a real man is. Contending earnestly for the faith regardless of the consequences. Do the right thing even when it costs you. Even when it could hurt. Be courageous. Act like men. And we're to be actively doing the divine will. Not our will be done, but our Father's will. Seeing the duty of the moment as simply doing the right thing in the right way with the distinct aim and purpose of pleasing and glorifying God in all we say and do. We have ample opportunities to do this every day. (laughs) Again, be faithful where God's put you today. I can't do anything about human trafficking in Central Africa, but I can do something when I see my neighbor being harmed or I hear or see lies being propagated. I can take a stand for the truth. I can say that's wrong. That's not God's will might cost me something. Certainly, we can't have fear of man. We need fear of God. In pursuing righteousness and cultivating holiness, we do the right thing. (laughs) Well, what's right? What's good? In an age of moral relativism, that's follow your own heart. No. The Word of God, the law of Christ, tells us what is good and right. We do the right thing ever setting the Lord before us and aiming to follow Him. He left us an example that we should follow His steps. And in our works, in our efforts to help, to relieve, to comfort, or to serve another, we we do right by loving our neighbor. In some circumstances, we may do right by patiently bearing the divine will. And sometimes that's all you can do as a believer. You've exhausted every legal means to hold someone accountable. Perhaps you were defrauded. You've gone to small claims court and you lose. (laughs) Perhaps you were physically injured and you suffer the rest of your life and no one seems to be held accountable. 
all kinds of wrongs. But sometimes all we can do is patiently bear the divine will and God's providence. Simply to bear what God has laid upon us. And this is why some of the hymns that we sing are so important and so full of truth. Think of Be Still My Soul. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on your side. And bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. All kinds of truth. Right out of Psalm 37 and some aspects of that. Think of Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, in God's time, he, we will reap a harvest. If we don't give up, we persevere in the faith. Well, we put on obedience and we put on patience. Verses 7 and 9. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And again, for me, that's one of the hardest parts. <laughs> want to be doing something. Again, God doesn't act on my timetable. He doesn't act on yours. But if you trust Him to be a just and a righteous God, and if you submit to Him, then you can learn to wait patiently. God didn't promise us a life without troubles. But He did promise to be there when the troubles come. He said, I'll never leave or forsake. Therefore, we wait patiently on the Lord. Well, put on humility. Verse 11. To be humble or, or meek means to realize our own weaknesses and sinfulness that we rely on the Lord, not our ourselves. And that awareness of our own condition, if you will, and our own sinfulness and wicked hearts means that we won't self-righteously judge the wicked. <laughs> and I say self-righteously. Not that we don't judge according to God's Word. But we must remember that apart from God's grace and mercy, we could act just like they do. And humility means being aware of our own inadequacies apart from the Lord. But at the same time, we're fully aware of our adequacy is in the Lord, Second Corinthians chapter three, verse five. Doesn't come from us, it comes from Him. And, and meekness doesn't mean that you're weak, but rather it, it speaks of a brokenness. You know, a humble or, or meek person, which is how the Lord is described. And if we are humble and meek, it's, it's like a strong but broken horse. <laughs> It's powerful, yet it's submissive to the Master's touch and commands. You know, Jesus used Psalm 
3711 and as a third beatitude. Blessed are the gentle, or the humble, or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And you recall that from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. In verse 11 of our psalm, but the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. And the abundant prosperity there is, is literally abundance of peace and refers to soul prosperity, not to material riches. You know, the person who finds his adequacy in the Lord rather than in himself or in the things that he possesses. He has an abundant source of peace wrought by the Holy Spirit. Well, in verse 4, we are to delight in the Lord. Think about trust, obedience, patience, and humility can all be summed up in the phrase, delight yourself in the Lord. Be captivated with God (laughs) and all that He is and all that He's done. You know, rather than focusing and spending your time and energy on things that the world seeks, focus on the Lord. Delight in Him. And gaining the Lord, you gain everything that you ever need. He says He will give you the desires of your heart. And that doesn't mean that He's going to give you everything that your self-focus, <laughs> your self-centeredness desires. You know, if you're delighting yourself in the Lord and the things of the Lord and seeking after the Lord, then your desires will be in line with His desires. Your will will be to do His will. And this portion of Psalm 37 is really nothing more than the New Testament's version in Matthew 6.33. Seek first God's kingdom and righteousness and all these things, that is, your needs will be added unto you. And the priority there is seeking God. Delight yourself in the Lord and... Find your pleasure in pleasing Him. Delight in that. The new inner man, the new heart, finds pleasures in the things of God. And commit your way to the Lord and seek God's will in all the decisions in your life. When evil appears to be winning, be content in the Lord. That's what he's saying in verses 12 through 26. And we may face difficult times that try and test our faith. And we may be afflicted and persecuted, but whatever the trial, we can learn to be content in the Lord. I'm working on this. (laughs) You know, sometimes the Lord takes away things to reveal how much we take pleasure in the things of this world rather than we do the things of God and in Him. And we need to learn that Basically, if we have food and covering with these, we're to be content as long as we have the Lord, according to 1 Timothy. The righteous man trusts God and is content with all that God provides and gives thanks for that and everything. And the Apostle Paul, was he was such a man. He described himself as having nothing yet possessing all things. He learned how to be content no matter what his circumstances. Again, he learned how to do that so that he could... Enjoy and give thanks and give glory to God in all things. And be content that the Lord will provide and take care of His people. You know, personal injustices 
often hits us in the wallet. (laughs) But the Lord will provide your needs, the needs of the righteous, but your needs may be less than what you think they are. (laughs) But the Lord will be faithful. You know, you may only have a little, you think, but it will be enough. The Lord will sustain you. These are promises from the Almighty. And during difficult times, this is what we've got to fall back on and trust the Lord and live by faith. Well, when evil appears to be winning, do good and trust the Lord to judge righteously. You know, this is basically verses 27 through 40. And when you've been wronged, when you've been hurt, when you've been defrauded, what's our temptation usually? I want to retaliate. I want payback. I want revenge. I want vengeance. But our focus should be on pleasing the Lord during those difficult times, in spite of how others have wronged or hurt us. And again, I'm not saying you just lay down. You do whatever you can to make it right according to what God's provided, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. You know, righteous actions begin in our mind, in our thought life, in the heart, the inner man, and God changes us by renewing our minds according to Romans 12, so we're not conformed to this world, so that we know His will. And He does that through His Word, the ministry of His Word. And if Scripture doesn't shape and guide our thinking in every situation, every circumstance that we face, you will not respond in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord when someone wrongs you. (laughs) To be able to act under self-control during very difficult circumstances. You know, if Scripture is shaping our minds and our thoughts, then our words become progressively righteous. And when someone wrongs you or says something evil against you or slanders you, rather than lashing out with abusive speech, you can speak words of wisdom that build up and give a blessing. Yes, and even that could be an admonishment or a rebuke, but it could be a blessing if it leads to repentance and faith in Christ of the gospel. And if your thought life and words are in conformity with Scripture, you're not going to retaliate with wrong actions. Instead of responding to evil with evil, you're going to seek to overcome evil with good. Romans 12 talks about that. That's not the way of the natural man. But it can be the way of God's people. You know, when you've been wronged and you see wrong happening... You've got to develop the eternal picture and perspective of life. You've got to get the bigger picture and understand that. God's a God of justice, David declares. He's going to right all the wrongs, even if it appears they're winning and getting away with it today with no accountability whatsoever. You know, God isn't worried about the prideful schemes of the wicked in verse 13. He scoffs at that. The nation's rage... And he laughs. He knows that the seeming victories of the wicked only last for a season, the psalmist says, and then their schemes will come back or boomerang on their heads. 
Many verses point out how God's going to deal with the wicked. In our psalm, verse 2, they shall soon be cut down like grass. Verse 9, evildoers shall be cut off. Verse 13, the Lord shall laugh at the wicked who plot against God's people. Verse 17, the arms of the wicked shall be broken, their power shall be gone. Verse 20, the wicked shall perish. They shall consume away. Verse 35 and 36, the wicked passeth away and could not be found. Verse 38, the transgressors shall be destroyed together and the end of the wicked shall be cut off. There's a lot right there how God's going to deal with this. And there's also many verses contained in the psalm about speaks of the victory of God's people are going to have. Verse 9, those that wait upon the Lord, those that trust the Lord shall inherit the earth. The meek, verse 11, shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in abundance of peace. Verses 18 and 19, the Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. It's eternally secure. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time and in the days of famine. They shall be satisfied. God shall exalt you to inherit the earth. Verse 37, the end of of that man is peace. The salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. These are all promises. God shall let his people see when the wicked are cut off. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. They're living by faith. But we can be assured that there is a coming judgment when everything will be made right. We know that in Revelation chapter 6. And we can trust God and we can leave vengeance to our God. The Lord has ordained civil government to punish evildoers, but It's not hard to see that they're not doing that very often. It seems like they're punishing the righteous. But God will set things straight in his time. All we can continue to do is pray for our leaders as we're commanded so that what? We can live peaceful and quiet lives. But just to look throughout history, we know that's not always the case. We can leave vengeance to our God, trusting and being content in Him and learning to do that. We do all we can do according to God's Word, but ultimately we have to leave it in God's hands. But you might be thinking to yourself, you know, that's great for eternity. (laughs) But what about now? I want it now. Again, having patience. You're thinking, you know, is getting trampled on by ruthless people while I wait for heaven and the eternal state? Is that all I've got to look forward to in this life? You may be trampled on. (laughs) But we do have something why we wait patiently and trust the Lord. And in this psalm, God's blessing... His blessings upon the righteous are summed up in the recurring theme 
saw this throughout verses 9, 11, 22, 29, 34 of inherit the land, this promise. And what does that mean? Well, in the context, it applies there to God's covenant promise to Israel, the people of Israel, that they would dwell in Canaan, the land that they promised. And David is saying that God isn't going to let the the wicked displace the righteous from God's promised land. He will be faithful to his promise and his covenant that he made. And you think about that, the things that we give up in this life. We think sometimes, like Asaph, Lord, I've given this up to follow you, and look how it's not turning out too well. You know, Peter was concerned about this because he and the other disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. And I always like going to see what Peter's got his response <laughs> and how the Lord corrects him and sets it straight. But Peter asked, he's speaking to Jesus. He's, what is there for us? We've left everything. And, and Jesus, he answers Peter and he, he says, and he begins by truly. That means you can bank on it. This is the truth. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he shall receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, all that. And again, this is one of those misused verses. <laughs> You're not getting a hundred times bigger house. That's not the promise if you claim it. But the blessings are going to be a hundred times of whatever you've given up to follow the Lord for the sake of the gospel. And then Jesus adds, and a lot of people want to leave this one out. You're going to get all that, but along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. So in a sense, we've got it now and we've got it then. We're looking forward to it. And even when the flesh and the heart fail, God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. And this is part of the gospel. This is what God God gives to his people himself. (laughs) And we're not going to possess just physical land over in Canaan. We're possessing God. That's so much beyond whatever this world has to offer. Again, that's the fulfillment of the promise. We're going to have a city not built by human hands, but God. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And what I believe will be in the recreated heavens and earth. To enjoy forever as God is our portion. To behold our Savior face to face. And this is why we can wait patiently. Yes, when we see injustice, do what you can within the limitations that God's given you. Speak the truth in love. Confront evil. Call people to repentance. If you've been wrong, use every available means in order to make it right. God's done that, ordained that. But because it's sinful people, there's unrighteous judges today just like there were in Israel. God hates that. 
he will deal with it in his time. And we can rest assured. So don't lose hope. If, if you're struggling with joy and disappointment at times, focus on Christ. And your joy and your hope will be restored to live by faith by the power of God as we walk in the power of his spirit. And that's another reason why we observe the Lord's table every week, to refocus on the Lord and the gospel, and that God is our portion, our inheritance, if you will. So John will come and lead us.